0: If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me to the book of Hebrews toward the back of the Bible. If you remember, we actually started journeying together through this incredible book last fall. Uh, We got to chapter 11 or so, and then the Advent season came. We said, what do we do? We want to celebrate Advent. And uh, so we stopped. We stopped through this incredible journey through the book of Hebrews. I don't expect you to remember, um, but we were there and we thought, let's pick up the story. So the last couple of weeks, Dave Gambrell's done a phenomenal job kind of picking up where we left off in chapter 12 and where God has us today. I mean, God, God is amazing. His timing is perfect. Have you not seen that? And so just in the midst of of an incredible week, and I'll tell you more about it in a little bit. This is the text that we find ourselves. This is where God wants to speak to us. And it's incredible. If you don't have your Bibles, you'll find the text listed in your bulletin. It'll also be on the screen behind me. His name? Stefan. I believe it's how you pronounce his name. It was Stefan. Stefan worked at a little hotel called the Hotel Natale in a a town in Italy called Cortina di Imprezzo. It is in the northeast corner of Italy in the Dolomite mountains. And it is absolutely breathtakingly beautiful there. They had the Winter Olympics there in 1956. They were supposed to have the Winter Olympics there in 1944, but World War II put an end to that. And they were eventually able to host the world in 1956. It was a place that Katie and I had the privilege of visiting this summer after taking a trip uh, of you all at Orangewood to Israel, seeing some missionaries in Romania, for our 30th anniversary, uh, we made our way to Italy, and we found our place, an uh, incredible place, at this Cortina di Imprezo. Well, Stefan, although he was there as a hotel clerk, employee, he was really a tour guide. He was fantastic. He loved this town. He loved this community. And he was able to open up a map for us. and And this little town, it's nestled right in the midst of mountains. And what he would do is he would he would take out the map and he would circle some areas. He says, well, you got to go see this mountain range. And this is how you're going to go see it. And you got to take the lift here to go see this on this side over here. And you really want to be in this area when the sun sets because you're not going to believe what happens to the mountain. As the sun begins to set, you're going to think that the mountains are changing colors and they're changing shapes. It's absolutely amazing what you'll see before your eyes. And we were amazed. And say so show you a little quick picture here. You can see on the left, uh, Cortina di Imprezo is that little city that is tucked in the mountains. And that whole city is surrounded by mountains. And, and Stefan would give us on trails like these uh, to go and explore those incredible mountains. And to see them with a different light reflecting upon them, it was majestic. Literally got my phone out and put on some praise music. And we're just praising and singing praises to God who made the mountains because his righteousness is like a mighty mountain and his love reaches to the heavens. And so singing those praises was amazing. Well, this morning... We're going to be in mountain ranges. We're going to be the mountain ranges of God's word. God's entire story can really be told around a couple of mountain ranges. The mountain range of Mount Sinai and the Mount Zion. That's really, and so much reflects the entire Bible story. Because it was on Mount Sinai that God would come and he would give the law of God to Moses. The law would reveal how what God requires of us. The law would reveal who God is and how holy he is. And it really represents Mount Sinai, or Mount Sinai represents what we call the law of God. But there's another mountain, a mountain in Jerusalem, a mountain, a heavenly mountain in Israel called Mount Zion. And Mount Zion in the Bible represents what we call the gospel, the good news of what Christ Jesus has done for us and the fellowship we can have in him. Well, the writer of the book of Hebrews, an incredible book, what he's really doing, if, if you remember, is he's looking at Jesus and he's comparing Jesus to all the heroes of the Old Testament, all the figures that that, that audience would know. And he would say, Jesus is better than all of them. I mean, nothing compares with him. He'll, they'll hold up angels and say, angels, they don't compare to Jesus because he's the son. And then they'll hold up the hero Moses and say well Moses can't compete either and and not only him but Aaron the priest and Melchizedek and you have this story in the book of Hebrews it will take all these heroes and they'll place them next to Jesus and you realize that there's no one there's nothing like Jesus as a matter of fact you begin to realize that that entire old testament the old covenant their job was really to point to Jesus their job was like a type or a shadow of Jesus and he is superior to all As we near the end of the book of Hebrews, the author is going to now show us the superiority of Jesus by a comparison of mountain ranges, by a comparison of saying, let's look at Mount Sinai and and let's look at Mount Zion. And what we're going to find is this. And I know that you need this. What we're going to find is amazing. It's God's word. We will find unshakable grace. Unshakable grace of God. The goodness of God. Do you need that in your life? Do you need something in your life that isn't shaking? Do you need something in your life that isn't secure, that, that, that isn't just, that, that is secure, that can get you through no matter what happens? We will find an unshakable grace of God and a kingdom of God that will not end. Well, this is where we're going to pick up the story. It's going to be uh, Hebrews uh, 12. We're going to look at verses 18 through 29. Let me put, ask you to put on your climbing gear. Uh, we're going to jump right into the story, and we're going to jump right into Mount Sinai. He's going to start describing it for us, and, and it's going to be some interesting terms. Some of them are going to feel unusual, and, and it's going to be what in the world's going on uh, here? It's a pretty amazing text, and then we'll ask God to come and speak uh, through a broken center and open up that text for all of us. So hear the word of the Lord given to us in Hebrews 12, beginning in verse 18. In picture, you're about ready to be dropped on Mount Sinai. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further message be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given even if a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. It's really the imagery we see of the book of Exodus, especially Exodus 19. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear, but you have come to Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gatherings. And to the assembly, the Greek word there is ecclesia, the church, the called out ones of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven to the God, to God, the judge of all and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray together. Oh, Father God, your word clearly tells us that you are a consuming fire. Oh God, in your grace and mercy, would you use that fire to shine light, the light of Christ into our darkness? Would you use that consuming fire to to soften all that is in us that is cold and hard and sinful? Would you use that that fire to melt us and mold us to be more like Christ. Oh God, would you use that consuming fire to take away our dross and our sin and to show us the beauty of our Savior. Oh God, would you give us ears to hear your voice? Would you give us minds to understand your word and these these mountains that are reflected in this passage? Would you give us hearts that would embrace your truth? And would you give us feet that it will walk in a manner worthy of your name on the path that you would have for us, knowing that Jesus, he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. Father, the things that I say that are wrong or merely my opinion. May those things fall away and be forgotten quickly. But the things that are said that are true and contain the good news of the gospel, would you use those things to make us more like your son, our Savior Jesus? And it's in his matchless and precious name that we pray, amen. If you'd like to follow along with me in your bulletin, you will find an outline as we scale these mountains, as we try to figure out what God's word has for us today. And the first thing we're gonna see is this, is we see a tale of two mountains. We see a description of two mountains. We see uh, basically God's word describing to us what these two mountains are like. And the first one, is Mount Sinai. The first one represents the law, the place where God would appear when he would come and he would speak face to face with his servant, his friend Moses. But look at the description that it says about Mount Sinai when God appeared. There was darkness. There was gloom that covered over the mountain. There was so much fear that when God was speaking, the people were asking him, like, please stop speaking. It's it's terrifying to hear your voice. I mean, can you just speak through us through this guy, Moses? I mean, this place, I mean, it was it was such the presence of God. It was so fearful that it wasn't even safe for animals to even touch the mountain. This is not what you want to put, like, in a tourist guide. Come to Mount Sinai, where you will be terrified absolutely to death. Where your animals, or they're not safe, and well, you'll be begging, "They please God, stop." What does it do? What is God doing? Why would he Why would he describe it this way? Well, something very important. What God is doing, He's revealing to us who He is in His character. He's revealing that this God, the God who is the God of the Bible, He's a holy God. He is completely without sin. There's no shadow of turning with Him, and it shows us the inaccessibility to God on our own. That that He is holy, and we are not. It's reminding us of, of our sinfulness and shows us our need of a savior. The book of Exodus, I mean, really beautifully portrays this, this amazing, holy, consuming, fire God. It's the Old Testament. You think, oh, my goodness. I mean, wow, is that the same God of the New Testament? Absolutely it is. But what I love about God and his word is that God can't stop showing Mercy. He always will. God can't stop showing grace. He always does. And even in the midst of a book called Exodus and that the Pentateuch of the law, where we hear this story and we're, we're told about this God, God says, I'm gonna meet you. I'm gonna meet you right where, where, you, where the people are. I'm gonna meet you at a place called a mercy seat. It's gonna be a special place in a temple in the Holy of Holies. And, and at that mercy seat, I will be found. What I love is that when it describes that mercy seat, when the Old Testament in Hebrew was translated to Greek, it's called the Septuagint. When they translated that, that phrase, that mercy seat, propitiation, covering of sins. It's the same word that Paul uses in Romans three twenty five to say, where I will meet you is the place where your sins will be covered. Where I will meet you and show you mercy and grace is at a cross. And what my son will do for you. But I'm getting ahead. I'm jumping ahead. Um, and we will, we will get more to that. But we'll see God's amazing mercy. A place at the cross where we'll, t- we'll see that Jesus' blood speaks. It speaks better than the blood of Abel. We'll unpack that in just a moment. So that's Mount Sinai. A Bible has, uh, Mount Sinai is the law. Uh, it shows us the holiness of God. It shows us what God's will is for us. It's a terrifying place. But there's another mountain, a mountain that soars even higher, a mountain called Mount Zion, the gospel. And it's the complete opposite, a complete opposite feeling. It says it's the place, the city of the living God. It's a place where angels feast. It says it's a place where God is judge over all. But this isn't a judge to be feared. These people are are saved, they're rescued. This is a judge who's finally going to make all things right. This is a judge who's going to right all wrongs. This is a judge that we long for. And what has he done? He's gathered the assembly, that Greek word, the church. Those who, by God's grace, are born again, who have a relationship with Christ Jesus. And here's how he describes us, uh, whose spirits have been made pr- righteous. let pause. Anybody here feel like their spirit is righteous? But you know, what the writer of Hebrews has already told us in Hebrews chapter 10 that through one sacrifice, the sacrifice of Christ Jesus on the cross, listen to this, God has made perfect tents, God has made forever perfect, those he's making holy. So amazingly, this place at the cross, a gracious God is gonna say to us that we have in Christ Jesus, wrapped in his righteousness, covered in his blood, we've been made perfect. So it talks about the righteous spirits. He's talking about those in glory, those waiting for that final resurrection of the body. He's talking about those who have been cleansed in Christ Jesus. Oh, what glory we have. But really, what's not only amazing about this is the tense, the Greek tense of this passage. It says that we have already obtained that mountain. We've already obtained it. We've already entered it. You want to say, well, this sounds so future. But again, the Greek text is is in the perfect tense, which means we're there and there's still more blessings to come. We're already in. Jesus came with good news. And here's what he announced. The kingdom of God is at hand. There's a kingdom that started. His reign and rule has started. And we can be a part of that by God's grace through faith. We can enter into that. We can already enter into that, that living city where God belongs. We can already be a part of what that, that Mount, Mount Zion. And therefore, because we have a living God who's already perfected our souls in Christ Jesus, who's already working incredible righteousness in our life, who promises more, we have hope. Believer, let me tell you that your citizenship's in heaven. And I don't know what's happening in your life and I don't know what's going on, but there's a mountain that in Christ Jesus we've had access to. And there's blessings there now for each and every one of us. And there's blessings there to come. Well, clearly this text is not talking about the earthly Jerusalem. I just was there. And I hope someday you'll be able to go to Jerusalem. It's an amazing city. But what always strikes me about Jerusalem is the whole world comes to Jerusalem. All the the nationalities, but all the religions. And we were in Jerusalem. And the Friday when Ramadan was starting, a big uh, festival for the Muslim faith. And we were there, we were we were going into the gate where the Muslims will typically enter into the walled city of Jerusalem because one of the oldest mosque is right there and they're going into worship. And we were there with thousands who were milling their way into Jerusalem. It's a weird feeling. I'm telling you, when you feel that outnumbered, when you when you see uh, the the garb of of a of another religion, and then you and then you go to the Western Wall, especially around the Sabbath, and you see the Orthodox Jews and they're running, they're running to Jerusalem, they're running to the wall, they're running to pray, and you see the Christians, who also want to go to the place where where Jesus walked, the place where Jesus died, the place where Jesus was resurrected, but this isn't talking about an earthly city of God. This is clearly talking about a heavenly city of God where angels feast, a place where we're going. The Bible is the story of two mountains. Which one do you find yourself on? Are you trying to try to make your way uh, with works and do things that God's ask of you on your own? That mountain of Zion, are you on the mountain by God's, or the mountain of Sinai, or are you by God's grace in the gospel on the mountain in the city of God of Zion? it's not only a tale of two mountains, it's a tale of two trails, trails in the mountains, or what the the Bible would say, two covenants. There were different trails that you could take in the Dolomites. And we wanted to make sure that Stefan was gonna tell us the easiest trails. We didn't have the right stuff. We didn't have the right equipment. And quite frankly, we're not that good to be traveling on some of these paths. And so, Stefan, you make sure that these are, can I, can I use these shoes on these, Stefan? I'm gonna be okay, Stefan. I mean, don't get me on a trail. It's gonna be too hard for me, Stefan. Uh, and he was great. But even the ones he gave to us, I mean, they were some really stark, sharp inclines, steep inclines, and some loose rocks. Have you ever been on a sharp and steep incline with loose rocks underneath your feet? It's a horrible feeling. The earth is moving. You're not moving fast. Okay, I'll admit it. There was a time that Katie and I were on all fours begging for Jesus to help. That wasn't, wasn't that bad. But we were really, sometimes we kind of got on fours. a little scary. I mean, look, don't, don't look over there. And then you would hear horses behind you. And you think, who in the world has a horse up here? This is weird. There's not supposed to be horses up here. And then you look back and say, it's not a horse. It's some guy or guys, sometimes in packs, sometimes with gals, with mountain climbing gear that have just climbed sheer rocks that have ropes and all the things that dangle off them and they run. They sound like a horse running through jingle, jingle, jingle. And they're running on the path that you're crawling on, you know, and you think, are you kidding me? And you just want to kind of stick your foot out a little bit. Oh, oh, oh. Sorry about that. Watch that. Well, you want to make sure that you get on the right trails. And that's what the Bible's going to tell us. The Bible is going to try, describe two trails to follow. And it's they're, they're a matter of life and death. One trail is going to lead to life and one trail will lead to death. You want to make sure you're on that right trail. Sinai represents what we call a trail or a covenant of works and of law. And it reveals the character of God. And it's basically going to say this, for you to live is what you have to do. You have to be holy. You have to follow. Doing is living, obeying the law of God. And disobeying, it leads to death. And God reveals his character and he reveals what he, what he asks us to do. And we know that we've all fail, failed. We've all fallen short. There's not one of us who hasn't sinned in word, thought, and deed, even now. And that leads to death. But the grace of God, the grace of God, as you see what God requires of us, God provides for us. And God would even provide another way. He called it the covenant of grace, the covenant of of the gospel. Where listen, it's not doing leads to living, but believing leads to living, believing in what God provided, believing in God's Son, believing that he was enough, believing in his sacrifice, believing that leads to life. Everything else leads to death. But I want you to know this about God. He's not he doesn't change his mind. It's not like he thought, oh, here's one path, oh, that didn't work. I'm gonna try another one. God's still holy. I mean, somebody had to walk that holy path. I mean, somebody had to, had to scale that mountain. Someone had to do it because God can't change his mind. And God says, these are my requirements. And so you know what he did? God sent his own son to do it. What God requires of us, God provides for us. He provided for it in Christ Jesus. And he came and he lived the life we failed to live. He lived this perfectly obedient, righteous life to the Father. And he, he scaled the mountain. He opened up heaven. He did it all for us, but he did more. He died the death that we deserve on the wrong path for failing the consequence of sinning. Jesus says, I'm gonna stand in their place. I will die their death. I will give them the credit of my righteousness so you can live, so you can be a part of that city, so you could know the Father, so you could be a part of my family. I'll experience death so you and I can experience life. That is the trail of the gospel That is what God has called us to follow. We see two mountains, we see two trails. Which one are you on? Are you here trying to be good enough that God will someday like you? Are you here to try to be religious enough and meet enough requirements that someday you'll get in and someday you'll be blessed? Or by the grace of God, have you come to the point where you realize that apart from the grace of God, you can do nothing good? And you, by God's grace and the faith he gives us have embraced Christ Jesus. And know the joy of that. What what path are you on? Tale of two mountains, the tale of two uh, trails. It's also the tale, trail of two guides or two mediators. Moses, the guide for Mount Sinai. Jesus, the guide to Mount Zion. One of the ways we had to get up the mountain, we had to take two gondola-looking things, two cable car-looking things, kind of big. And it was, it was so steep and so far, you had to get... Uh, you take one took you about halfway up and you just jump into the next one and you have a guy who operates the, uh, the cable car. Can you imagine getting in a car where the guy's absolutely terrified? I mean, how do you want that guy to look when he's, you want the guy to be sitting there and like, Hey, hop in. I got this. You want a guy who's like kind of hanging out the side, looking at everything and no problem. Can you imagine getting in one of those things? The guy's like, Oh my gosh, I hope we're going to make it. Oh my gosh. I'm terrified. Oh man, I mean, I mean, they did a little work on that cable. I hope it's okay. I mean, oh my guy's good. Come on in, folks. We're gonna we're gonna do our best to get there. Would you spend one second on that place where you felt like the guide was fearful and terrified for his own life? I want that guy to feel good. I want that guy to be so confident that he's taking risk, you know? Because Katie and I are like, you know, Katie may be a little bit more afraid of that than me. I I shouldn't probably mention that because she's still here. Don't look at her. And she's like, Jeff, I'm like, Katie. You should see this over here. It's like, no, just stand by. Stay right there. Whoa! whoa. <laughs> but what you want is a guide who's like completely confident. Well, it's interesting. There's two different guides. It tells a story that Moses trembled in fear. He trembled in fear because he was a sinner. He trembled in fear in the presence of God because he wasn't a good enough mediator to even stand there on his own. He needed God's grace. He trembled in fear because his own sin would lead to death before he would even make it into the promised land. But there's another guide. There's another guide that's a whole lot better than Moses. His name's Jesus. And it says something interesting about him in this text. It said, Jesus's blood speaks a better word than Abel. What in the world does that mean? Well, if you've been around the Bible, you know that it was early on in the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 4 where there's the Cain and Abel story. Most of you have heard that story. And you know that that Cain and Abel were brothers and that Abel had a relationship with God and and a sacrifice to God that Cain was really jealous of. And he was so jealous that he killed his own brother. And God appears to to Cain and says, hey, Cain, where's where's your brother Abel? And the famous phrase, it's right here in the Bible, says, who am I, my brother's keeper? I don't know, it's not my job to watch my brother, I don't know what he's doing. And God says this, he said, Cain, Abel's blood's crying out to me. What, what, do, you think, what do you think God heard? What, what was Abel's blood saying? Let I me mean, tell you what it was saying. It was saying justice, condemnation, guilt. My brother killed me. What does Jesus' blood speak? Why is it better? Because Jesus, who would hang on the cross, the spotless Lamb of God, who would be pierced for our transgressions and would be broken for our iniquities. The blood of Jesus speaks mercy. It speaks forgiveness. It speaks covering of sin. It speaks wholeness. It speaks redemption. It speaks gathering back to the Father. Oh, the blood that speaks better than that of Abel. Because mercy Mercy and justice are all met in that blood of Jesus. Condemnation is gone forever. There's no condemnation for those of us in Christ Jesus. What powerful blood is that? That God can look at us and say no condemnation because Jesus' blood speaks over that unbelievable grace of God. He was killed and crucified, buried and resurrected so we could reach that promised land. I think it's why the gospel of John says in John 1, about Moses, well, the law was given through Moses right there on that Mount Sinai. The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. You see, it's a tale of two mountains. It's a tale of two trails. It's a tale of two guides. But lastly, it's a tale of unshakable grace. You got to get this unshakable grace. Have you ever been in a season of life where everything you hold dear is just absolutely seeming in turmoil? Have you been in a time in your life where everything is shaking and it feels like literally you're in an earthquake? Everything you hold dear. I'm in that season right now. My mom and dad were supposed to come after church service last week to come and celebrate Father's Day. But instead, on Saturday, my mom, who's already battling Alzheimer's, had a stroke. And seeing her Sunday and then seeing her later in the week, and she's getting worse. And I just got a text between services, not responsive. My sister, who's battled so many times with cancer, it's back and the last, sermon, the last surgery took 12 hours. And we had to go to New York City in Sloan Kettering to try to find the right doctor that will perform this. And, and not just the cancer that looms over her, the cancer surgery, but it's her trigeminal neuralgia. It was the tumor that she had removed unrelated to her cancer off her brain that was pushing against the trigeminal nerve that, that was removed hoping to alleviate the pain, but it didn't work. And then they do something called the gamma knife, which they'll shoot radiation into this nerve to deaden the pain, but it didn't work. And if you Google suicide disease, trigeminal neuralgia is what you'll find because the pain is that great. And this, this very week is her doctor was on vacation and her pain was so great. I'm, I'm going to friends in Orlando and say, what can you medicate? What can you do? Found out last night. She goes to the hospital. She's so dehydrated just for IV. My life is shaking. Chuck Green's passing. The things that are happening. But this this passage tells us something really unusual. It says that God himself, listen, God himself is going to shake heaven and earth. That God himself is going to do it. And he's basically saying the only thing that is going to be unshakable is the kingdom of God. And that is the only thing that will remain. Anything that you're holding on to, any hope, anything that you think in this world is going to be solid enough, secure enough for you to place your hope in, it will shake and it will be rattled. And God himself is the one who's going to do it. There's not one relationship that will stand apart from our relationship with him. Everything will be shaken. And I realize, golly, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. You know, we're praying, God, will you shake everything that's still shakable? So that the only thing that remains is you. What will stand? What will be unshakable? Believer, it's your salvation in Christ Jesus. It's your adoption as a child of a God, as his sons and daughters. It's the reality that in Christ Jesus, he has already made you perfect and he's making you holy. What is unshakable in your life is Jesus Christ. Everything else, shakeable. His kingdom and his kingdom alone. Everything else, he himself will shake. Everything else is subject to be burned away. He's a consuming fire. So how do we live? You know, it's kind of fearful, is it not? It starts off fearful in the mouth. You get to, oh my goodness, God's a consuming fire. God himself has said that everything in heaven and earth, we got, what makes us earthquake-proof and heavenquake proof Because everything in heaven's gonna shake too. Well, he's promised us a new heaven and a new earth. And again, knowing the reality that our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever There is no shadow of turning in him. And no matter where we sat to look at those mountains and no matter the way the light hit it, and I promise you it did look like the colors changed and it did look like the mountains changed. They didn't change. And I know in our lives there's so many times where the light of our lives is dim and the shadows come and we see the blurriness through our tears and we wonder, God, are you changing? And even my sister who so loves Jesus would say, God, are you cruel? I just so appreciated Dave's sermon last week just to remind us he treats us like sons and he loves us. There is not a son he had who wasn't disciplined. There's only one unbegotten, holy son, but all of his sons have been shaken. And we know that Jesus's blood is going to speak over all. And he promises that in Christ Jesus, we have an earthquake proof and a heaven quake proof reality. Scripture says that one day there'll be a new heaven and new earth. Our current heaven and earth is going to roll away like a scroll. So our hope shouldn't be here and anything here. Scripture will tell us, and this passage will tell us that our God is not a tame God. And his character doesn't change. But he loves us enough to treat us as sons. And he's a consuming fire. And he is going to consume all the dross and the brokenness of our life and present us holy and faultless. And for those who don't know him, he's a consuming fire that will destroy. But Jesus has opened up a new and living way. So what do we do? You get, you get this heavy passage and here's the results. I love this as we close. He said, therefore, because of this reality, you got Mount Sinai, uh, you got Mount Zion. You got Moses, you got Jesus. You got a blood that speaks better because of the fact that everything's gonna shake away, but I will never shake away. Your kingdom will never end. You are a part of that now, right now. That's a reality in your life. So here we should do. I love this. First thing is this, be grateful. Be grateful, rejoice. You got something that can't be shaken. You really do in Christ Jesus, rejoice. Chuck Green himself will say, have an attitude of gratitude about this passage. Is that not true? Have an attitude of Gratitude. And let us have grace. And I love the way the King James translates this. He said this: let us have grace. You know what this is saying? Live in grace. It's not about what you do. It's not about your works. It's not about a trail of life you're trying to blaze. It's not about your stuff. It's not about your name. It's not about your reputation. It's all about Jesus. And what God requires of us, God provides for us in Christ Jesus. And the heavens have been opened up because he lived, he died, and he was resurrected. We are now his. We've been perfected in him. He will never let us go. Have grace. That grace of God. Live your life with grace. May it anoint everything you have because what you're holding in this earth, it's gonna shake out of your hand, but he won't. He will never let you shake out of his. Live by grace. If if you don't know Jesus, get off the trail that leads to death. Get off now. It's not gonna end well. And come to Christ Jesus and experience that grace. But does more, worship him with reverence and awe. I mean, if we don't see this passage with reverence, I mean, God is an unchanging, consuming fire. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is holy. God is just, but God is merciful and God is good. Worship him with reverence. None of us deserve it. We only get it by his grace and worshiping him all that that God's blood is able to speak over our brokenness and sin. What incredible awe that his blood speaks more than our brokenness. Hold tightly to Jesus, because he holds tightly to you. Amen? Amen? Let us pray. Father God, what grace is ours that we don't have to fear you the way Moses did, your friend who spoke to you face to face. And God, on our own, none of us come close to Moses. On our own, apart from your son Jesus, your consuming fire consumes us. But incredible through the gospel is the story of the tale of these two mountains, that the fear of Mount Sinai has been eclipsed by the grace and glory of Mount Zion. That the fear of Moses has been replaced by the grace of Jesus and the one whose blood speaks better than the blood of Abel. That the blood of Christ is what defines me and what defines us. And the blood of Jesus is going to have the last word. And that's a word of mercy. And that's a word of life. And that's a word of grace. We thank you for a guide named Jesus who's opened up the heavens for us. And that somehow, mysteriously, we've already arrived. And yet there's more to come. God, I pray for anyone who's on that path of death that your grace would be evident that you would show them the beauty of jesus and they would run to you god for us who are yours who continue to try to hang on to those things that are shakeable, those things that will fade away forgive us and god fix our eyes upon jesus the author and the perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him would endure the cross. And we thank you that when heaven and earth shakes in Christ Jesus, we are saved.